You are listening to The Tape Deck, a weekly podcast. It comes out on Fridays. It's about music. Welcome. Uh, we post daily album reviews, and the podcast comes out every Friday. Uh, check us out at tapedeckpodcast.com. You're probably listening on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. Um, it's on all of those. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Rob Mora, and with me again on the podcast is Mr. Rigo Hernandez. Thank you again for joining me on today, this lovely night of nights. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're man. welcome. It's getting warmer now, which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, this time I'm not going to tell you what day it is because I hate revealing when the backlog is. Uh, but who knows when this is going to come out. Hmm. Rigo, what have you been listening to lately? Um, some Billie Eilish, which is like not typical for me. Yeah, but... you know, it's not... You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard of her, but I've never listened to her music. Yeah, I've, I mean that and like I've been listening to Little Pump. I'm like trying to... Little Pump, I'm really? trying to get hip. Interesting. You know, he came out with a new album recently. Yeah, and it's not great. That's what but... I've heard. Uh, that's what I've Harvard. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Uh, because the album's called Harvard yep. Dropout, and you should okay. check it out. Or don't. I don't know. Whatever. Um, well, that's cool. Uh, I'm not... Little Pump is... Or like Travis Scott as well. As Travis yeah. Scott as well. I, I gave a good, earnest listen to Astroworld. Sometimes you sort yeah. of just got to take a step back and realize this music is not for me. Yeah. You know? I'm 27 years old. Like, And no, that's not supposed to be a qualifier as to whether or not you'll enjoy it. But Not at all. But yeah... <laughs> But also, I don't know. It's just not up my alley. Yeah, it's different cultures. Man. But I see what people see in it. You know, like if I if I if I look really hard, yeah, I, I mean, can I can get past you know my own personal tastes and 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 see what is making that that person such a success and that album such I mean, a success. Trap's just mainstream right now. Trap is mainstream. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what was the breaking point. You know. Like what? What caused trap to be such a to, to to break into the mainstream? I mean, it's been going for so long, for a long time. But like, was it a steady progression, or was it one of those things like a nevermind that just sort of broke up in the gates? I don't know. I think it's just been like bubbling in the underground for a long ass time. That would make sense. Like Gucci Mane, like was Gucci probably Mane. one of the first breakouts. Yes. And he was so small yeah. compared to like the Bling era and stuff. Speaking of which, did you listen to the new Solange album? I've listened to a couple songs off of it. You should listen. The whole thing is great. It's yeah. like sounds like a psychedelic experimental yeah. like, journey. It's nowhere near as like instantly accessible as her previous work. Yeah, and even then, that one was sort of a little bit of a grower. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she has an, a song where she duets with Gucci, and <clears> uh, <throat> it's great. It's just super silly. She's like laughing. Yeah, Gucci's just sort of doing his own thing. You know, Gucci's been around for. Too so long. long. Too long. Too, <laughs> too long, maybe. I don't know. We're always looking for... A, you know what Solange is really good at doing? She's really good at taking rappers that are considered to be past their prime and giving them fresh blood through their verses. That's what he, she did with Lil Wayne True. on a seat yeah, yeah. the table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that verse in Mad was like the best thing he put out in like years. You yeah, know? definitely better than anything on Carter 5, probably. <laughs> Carter 6 is still... Uh, it's the Carter 6, right? Is the newest one? I thought it was 5. Is it like, 5? Yeah. Oh, it is. No. Wait. I might be totally. Oh, fuck. I think totally it is wrong. 6. Oh, fuck. I'm going to get hate for that if that's, if that's the case. But um, whatever his newest one is out, and I think it's still like up there on the charts. And it yeah. came out last year. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's crazy. He's I mean, still got market value. It's, well, it's just been 
expected and hyped for so long it's the hype but then you know hype doesn't really matter as much if it's something if it's like if it sucks or like it doesn't meet up to expectations like i think hype matters more when it sucks because then it's like (laughs) massive backlash perhaps it's yeah that's true but like if it was just hype it wouldn't have stayed on the charts as long as it's doing right now you know that can happen um but anyway to the topic of hand rigo i have a question for you how much do you know about marianne faithful um, I know that she was a musician. Cool. That I would hope so. Yeah. I know that she was She's homeless a, yeah. for a period of time. That is exactly what we're going to be getting into. Um, I've asked this question for a couple of people when I started getting into Marianne Faithful's work, which I believe was last year mm-hmm. uh, when I started learning about her. Um, she's one of those artists that I think has flown under the radar for a lot of people, but has she has like the clout and she has like a body of work maybe not specifically an entire body of work but Mm -hmm. she has certain works that are unimpeachable you know like like for instance i mean we'll get into it yeah yeah. i mean she is she is one of these people that has just had a fascinating story and when i say fascinating of course the word fascinating when it relates to an artist tends to depersonalize them into legend yeah yeah. the existence i think she has had has been nothing short of legendary, but you know, I mean, she's in her seventies now, I believe, and she's, and she's still, still taking alive? some. Oh yeah, oh, she still she okay. came on the album last year, or was okay. it last year? It was either last year or the year before that, called Negative Capability, and it was really good. I'm gonna link it in the description. Cool, uh, it's so good, yeah. And then I also loved to give my love to London, which was the album before that, also really choice. She's still kicking, and she's still putting out like really good albums, objectively. Yeah, I yeah. would say. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Um, so for those of you who maybe grew up in the 19, or at least were conscious in the 1960s, you might have known Marianne Faithful. That was a long time ago, though. Essentially, uh, she was a London artist, you know, a folk artist at that. Um, she started growing up in the, I mean, she started her folk career in the early 60s. You know, she was playing coffee shops and whatnot, Okay. you know, and then she was discovered playing a club right and and who walks into the club but the rolling stones and their infamous douchebag manager uh, andrew oldham okay who sees marianne faithful singing on the stage and in his now infamous words says i saw an angel with big tits and i signed her that poor woman yeah i know right <laughs> i mean as, as far as career wise it was the biggest it was the it was her oh, yeah. landmark essentially. Yeah, it's, it's a breakout. Yeah. yeah, what happened was, I mean, the thing you have to realize is there's two Marianne Faithfuls we're talking about here, and this is the first version. We'll call this soprano Marianne Faithful because that was her voice. She had like this kind of lilting soprano. It was a nice, lovely soprano. Okay. You know that maybe sounds good on a, as a studio recording. You know. Yeah, yeah. But there wasn't really a lot of personality to it. You know? She didn't have her charm yet. Yeah. This is what I think a lot of people consider when you consider her her current Irv now, you know, mm-hmm. like the future that she would end up having. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But back then she was a passable, pretty lovely soprano singer, especially considering today's standards. With big tits, of course. With big tits, of course, yeah. Yeah. So she uh, she released this single called As Tears Go By, which I don't remember if it's a standard or if she wrote the song. I think someone else wrote the song and she just sang it. Hmm. But it was a hit. Big hit. Like hit number one in the UK. I think it also charted in the US as well. And she just sort of became like a name. You know? Like she was... like overnight almost? Pretty much overnight, yeah. 
I mean, if she was just a straight singer like that, mm-hmm. perhaps she would have just sung the song, you know, and then just sort of been on her merry way, you yeah. know. Uh, unfortunately, as happens with a lot of female musicians, especially in the 60s, she ended up becoming tabloid father because she started dating Mick Jagger. Oh, the Rolling okay. Stones, Which, you know, if you're the Rolling Stones and it's the late 60s now, we're talking 1966, 1967, when summer vlogs kick in, you know, British yeah, invasion yeah, yeah. whatnot, you're on the top of the world, you're being called the biggest band of all time. Of course, anybody that latches onto you is going to get big press. Yeah, of course. Um, and Marian Faithful was that type of person. Um, so the type how, of person to go after big press? Well, no, the like type of person who, latch on? who who gets big press. Oh, just okay. by mere her existence as just, a person dating Mick Jagger. She gets big press from her big press. From her big press. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and right. Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger. That's true. So, how much do you know about what the Rolling Stones were doing? In the late 60s. I'm honestly pretty ignorant about the Stones. <laughs> like, They've had, honestly, I mean, it's all common knowledge now that I'd they just a, did drug after drug yeah, after Yeah, I'd drug. assume it was mostly drugs. Yep. Rolling Stones, I mean, drugs have been in the, uh, the, music, industry. In the music industry since classical music, you know, rife with drugs. You know, uh, blues what? players. Like would, would shoot or something? Her. Yeah, heroin and shit like that, you know. Classical music, have? like there's a huge. That's a whole other discussion. But re- heroin use and, and drug use has been rampant in classical music even today. I'd love to be on the show for drugs yes, and music. Yes, do it. That's I'm so nice. into it. Um, but I mean, this was when it was a new time. Um, press journalism sites like the Rolling Stones and Enemy and Melody Maker and Sounds and Smash Hits were all sort of gaining credibility and starting to write rock journalism was a thing and because okay. of that you know and tabloids were also starting to become yeah, yeah. you know yellow journalism and whatnot um and it's not that they started but that it was just sort of in full swing you know yeah. and the rolling stones were debaucherous they they did a lot of drugs that was their image essentially yeah. like oldham for all of his douchebaggery and this guy is a real piece of shit like not even the rolling stones really liked him oh wow um he marketed those guys as they could you know and you saw it really when the beatles were getting big the rolling stones were right on their tail like they were marketed as like a five piece that were essentially just like the dirty beatles the grungy the grungy beatles like the don't don't let your daughter know about the, the rolling boys. stones yeah the bad yeah. boys as opposed to wholesome little paul mccartney that that's what they were marketed as by oldham uh well, he was Probably doing a good job then. Oh, he was exactly yeah. Even when even before Beggars Banquet and their their best hits, you know, when they were doing I Can't Get No Satisfaction mm-hmm. and their earliest records, they were being marketed as such. You can sort of see it through their discography. Have you ever listened to um, their their Satanic Majesty's Request? Or I think it's called. Um, nope. That came out in '67 <laughs> around the time or '68. I forget. It was around the time that Sgt. Pepper's was being released and it was just a carbon copy essentially it was them trying to do sergeant peppers okay so. um and i mean it's it's but a they cool just document it satanic their satanic Majesty. majesty's request i believe is what it's called i could be wrong on that um so yeah they were just being marketed as such oldham's idea was to just sort of be like well we'll feed into that we'll feed yeah. into that idea you know that the rolling stones will just keep we'll, it going we'll just shoot up drugs and then be like the bad boys yeah. you know and this was paying off like because around the time that they were releasing Beggar's Banquet, which was their first, like, a lot of people would consider their true, like, actually really solid artistic 
breakthrough album all the way through. Okay. You know, Marianne Faithful was with Jagger at that point. And at that point, hmm. they were already starting to court controversy. Um, actually, let me be a little more specific. The Rolling Stones were not courting controversy. They were just being, you know, the people in the band doing drugs. All of the debauchery and and the the sort of pearl clasping oh. slid off of all of them and landed on her. Hmm. Which makes sense. Be- I mean, it's sad that it makes sense, but... Well, yeah. I mean, she was, like, the only female in the presence in, like, a super conservative time. Exactly. Yeah. They're and all doing sucks. drugs. Yeah. They were all doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe her, maybe not so much. They were all addicted to heroin, though. I mean, that was when she started smoking marijuana was when she met the Rolling Stones. You okay. Know? Like, so it was being within that group that sort of got her into the druggy culture. And then when she started doing heroin, everyone was doing it. Um, there was an infamous moment where uh, the Rolling Stones and her were hanging out in Mick Jagger's home in Sussex. Hmm. And the police had a warrant to search their, their place for drugs. And she was discovered in nothing but a fur rug. And then she was photographed in nothing but a fur rug. and what fucking douchebag. Yeah. I mean, right? She Wait, they photographed her there? Yeah. Like... I mean, they, they, they told everyone to get out of the place, and then she had nothing but a fur rug on, so she just sort of... Was it like paparazzi or somebody? Yeah, they were oh, paparazzi. Okay. I mean, okay. paparazzi were all over those, yeah. those people. 27 years later, Marianne Faithful gave an interview that said that that just ruined her. Like, just knowing that she had that image just stuck to her is just like because she was known in the press as mrs x that was her name like oh. with the tabloids would call her mrs x that was just the name they had labeled her like and and i think of course it was a conservative time so people yeah. there were a lot of people that not only like they not only associated her with them and thought that she was the worst of it all. They, I think there were a lot of people that also thought that she was getting people like Mick Jagger to do all this stuff. Like she was the oh. impetus behind all of it, you know? Because they need somebody to blame. Well, I mean, I, I'm curious what Jagger and like the rest of the band were, like what their opinion on all of this was. I don't think and... it was anything they could control when it came down to well, it. I think, I mean... They could have come out and said something. They could have come out and said something. And I think Jagger maybe had, but I don't I didn't read anything news wise. It's worth looking into. Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know. Um as an aside, have you seen the documentary Gimme Shelter? I have not. Okay, well, if you haven't, uh one of the best music documentaries ever made, hmm. uh, because it plays like a snuff film. Hmm. Uh, because it captures the Rolling Stones infamous concert at Altamont, which was a lot of people consider to be the end of the summer, not the, the end of the summer of love, but the end of the hippie movement. Like mm. it was a whole cluster of things, but people, historians now consider like that particular live event at Altamont to be like a, a turning point. Was this the one, where's Altamont in Cali? I believe, uh, that's worth looking it up. Um, but uh, Altamont, uh, Rolling Stones played a show there and it was a big show obviously. And, for security, they couldn't get anyone to hire security, so they knew of a group called Hell's Angels. Oh, yeah. Who okay. they hired for some beers and some drugs. I think it was, I think they claimed it was just, well, just, they paid, we paid them beer. Yeah. You know? Which is like, come on, you're the fucking Rolling Stones. It's 1970. You know how much money you have? Why are you paying these guys just beer? You know? And why so, can't you get a security company? Exactly. It's like, so, it, it was a shit show all around. 
That you know? sounds like because it was a, a PR move more yeah, than anything. The Hells yeah. Angels were not, right? You would think it. The Hells Angels were not being paid. They were just being paid in beer and they were taking drugs because they just didn't care because they weren't being paid. Uh, and the crowd was getting feisty and there was violence that broke out. I believe there was some sexual violence that broke out as well. Jeez. There's footage in the film uh, where there's a guy who's fighting with a Hells Angel and you can see he starts to pull out a gun. Oh, shit. Upon seeing this, the guy that he was confronting, the Hells Angel, takes out a knife and stabs him, and he dies. Jesus Christ. Right in the middle of the scene. And then they have to fly all of the Rolling Stones out. And so half of the movie is the footage that then leads up to that death, and then the, the footage of them all being let out via helicopters. Wow. And then half of the other footage, the other half, is... Uh, John. Uh, is it Jonathan Demme? I'm not sure. The director of the, mm. the, of the biography, of the, the documentary... Um, they're all watching the film. Them and the Rolling Stones and everything are watching the footage, and then he's sort of asking them, like, like "What did you think?" Yeah. yeah, questions about it. Um, I wonder if they remembered it. Oh, they did. It was. It's a harrowing documentary, but it's super, super compelling. Like, tell her, give me shelter. It's so good. Um, but that's an aside. You know, that was what was going on at the time. Uh, so Marianne Faithful uh, is in this relationship with Mick Jagger, right? And and. Not only is she in this relationship, because she's a musician, she's also contributing to Jagger's songs okay. in several different ways. You, know, yeah. you can trace her contributions all the way back to Beggar's Banquet, but her most, uh, apt, yeah, her most influential parts in the, the Rolling Stones uh, discography um, come around around Sticky Fingers, which I think, believe came out in mm. 1969. There's two songs. One of them is called uh, Wild Horses, that song. Uh, Mick Jagger took the chorus, the lyrics to the chorus, I believe after Faithful, I think overdosed hmm. and uh, was in a hospital bed. And then Jagger's like, are you all right? And she goes, wild horses couldn't drag me away. And he takes that and uses that as the chorus to oh, the wow. song. Um, and then she co-wrote the song Sister Morphine off of the same album, uh, but she had to fight to get her name co-written. Uh, because mm. at that point, I think when it was released, they just they just uh, uh, the credit was to uh, Jagger. Jagger and to the Rolling Stones. And I well, think by the time Broken English came out, she had finally gotten a co-write on that song, but it took forever, you know. And she could have been making royalties, uh, blessed royalties, which is really important at that point because at the time uh, Sticky Fingers was coming out, Faithful was having a hell of a time uh she miscarried in 1968 jeez yeah uh she so finally not, not a good time not a good time okay. no absolutely uh she i believe she overdosed obviously maybe more than once um addicted to heroin um i think all these things seem very correlative oh absolutely you know yeah. when you're dealing with tablets her self-image was probably terrible yeah you know um she was she was having a hell of a time. She finally bore a child. Okay. Right? Probably then, not the best decision. Probably not the best decision, no. She's living in squalor. Wait, living in squalor? Yeah, at that point. Because in 1970, she broke up with Jagger. They got okay. married and then got divorced. Okay. And then she lost custody of the child. Okay. And then she attempted suicide, which didn't Jeez. work. Yeah, right. She's just... 
So it didn't work. Addicted to drugs, can't see my child. Uh, I'm just, I'm just this, this lackey, this like floozy that's standing next to the Rolling Stones. Yeah. She's that's... already had to deal with the death of Brian Jones, who died in a swimming pool. That's a whole other story. Okay. Um, like friends of hers who are also drug addicts, you know, are dealing with their own shit. Like that's a tough time to live in. Yeah. You know? So she attempts suicide. It doesn't work. Uh, she, she loses her relationship with Jagger. She loses the kid. She starts just falling apart. She becomes yeah. homeless in the early 70s. Um, the only way she is surviving is off of the royalties from, from that As Tears Go song? By, that one song, as well as a couple of co-writing hits. Jeez. Yeah. Um, she put out an album in 1973 or 74, I believe. She, I think she guessed it. She had one spot. I think it was on the uh, Late Night Show, Okay. I believe. Um, but other than that, she was straight up. She was living in an apartment without water or electricity, with uh, a person that she was about to to marry, who was also a drug addict. Hmm. You know, that's a shitty situation to be yeah. in. You know, that's the kind of situation that you would think at that point, you just be like, "Well, I'm just going to call it quits on life." You know, yeah, yeah. This is it. All I have to live for is a high, and this guy who's also we just get together to get high. You yeah, know? like classic rock and roll story. And in a lot of cases, I think, and this is important, like, I think at that point, you sort of have to understand how fate plays a toll and also how, like, when you come back from those, when you, when you factor in those circumstances, mm-hmm. how in, instinctively tough it is to, to get out of them and how blessed you feel when you actually find the strength to pull yourself out of it. You know, I mean, I hope she had faith. You know, <laughs> she was full of it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but jeez, that's like that's just rough. It's man. rough, man. Uh, I I mean, I I don't have any personal uh, uh, perspective on it. But yeah, like it's hard to empathize. It's really. hard to empathize. You know, but, unless you've been in it. Yeah, you know. But I don't think many people are like hooking up with Mick Jagger. And no. getting addicted to heroin in the sixties. That's know? true. I don't, yeah, I that's, just think that's a very very specific context right yeah. there. And and yet you can sort of see that story. Oh my God! Even today, um, Amy Winehouse, for example, that's oh, yeah. sort of the same situation a little bit. I mean, she wasn't dating anybody; she was famous on her own. But she was still going through drug shit, and she was dating someone who was abusive, and also enabling her drug use and yeah. everything. Um, that's a whole other story about it. We can just go into the 27 Club if we need to. Um, so what happens is in 1977, 78, late 70s, mm-hmm. a friend of Faithful's, an old friend, is walking down the street and sees her on the streets. And he's like, oh my God, Marianne, what are you doing? And she's just like, I'm begging for money. What does it look like? And he takes her in and, uh, and her husband as well. Okay. So they were both begging on the streets. Yeah, of course. They were living in an apartment without water or electricity. Like, that's all you can do. At least they had an apartment. Yeah. And this person helps her get back on her feet. Okay. Bear in mind, she doesn't detox until, like, the 80s. Wow. Like, it's a while before that happens. Um, Because she relapses as well, you know. Um, Now, at this point, I mean, we've mentioned before, Marianne Faithful's career is essentially bifurcated, right? Yeah. We've just passed Soprano... Mary and Faithful. We're now in this point where she comes down with severe laryngitis at some point during all of this. Jeez. Her heavy cocaine use 
and of course her regular drug use, you know, in other senses, have crippled her voice. She no longer is a a soprano. She is a cracked, raspy alto. That is her new voice, right? And so she can't sing anything that she was able to sing beforehand, but she rolls with it. And in 1979, she comes out with an album uh, of material uh, called Broken English. Okay. Um, and the influences that she borrows from this album are uh, she borrows from reggae, from punk. Uh, it's it's one of the first significant post-punk albums ever made. You okay. know, it has its own legacy. Yeah. You know, and and that's important because it, you can you can look at the post-punk movement. You know, Gang of Four and and all of that coming out of London. Uh, and see that it's part of it, and that that would itself be significant, whoever was doing it. But the fact that it was done by this person who is, in essence, a casualty of the music industry. Yeah. You know, that's already significant. That's like two points of light crossing, you know? Like, so have you listened to Broken English before? I have not. You should. I'm going to link it in the description um, because it's a, it's a testament to resilience. Um. And artistically, if you want to get into it, if you want to put your felt beret on, uh, it is it is like a mark of someone who has been through the ringer, you know, and it Jeez. sounds like it. Um, all of the songs in the album are about um, bitter surroundings and, and circumstances and, and, and sort of getting through them, but also about like how your circumstances just sort of change who you are and, and how they affect how you are. Pretty difficult for me to like get through music like yeah, that, man. Right, honestly. and I mean this stuff is pretty great. It's written really well. She okay. had a collaborator that helped her form the sound that she wanted to to, to make, and I think she definitely co-wrote. I think all of the songs. Like it was this guy that helped her, like sort of put yeah. the arrangements together. But she wrote all the lyrics and, and made the made the vocal melodies at the very least. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, if you listen to it now, like. You hear this voice and this this voice, and especially if you've listened to Marianne Faithful, like in her singing career and yeah. her her big hits um, before that previous, yeah. the change is just gobsmacking. Like it's hmm. crazy to to hear this voice sort of. It 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 is perpetually the voice of someone who has run out of tears. If you know what I mean, Jeez. like you can hear it. Yeah. Like, and and she's defiant as a singer. You know, on the album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just keeps walking. Just keeps walking. Um, the title track is amazing. It's got this amazing like groove to it. It's got synths on it. Um, I mean, it was the 80s, basically. Yeah. And then importantly, a lot of the songs were going to be overproduced, if I remember correctly. Hmm. The guy who was working on the album, because they released uh, all of these alternate takes as a deluxe edition. Hmm. And a lot of these songs were just big. Like There were a lot of accompaniment. She was like, no, 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 pare it down. It needs to be pared down. Make it minimal. Yeah, which is important because that that's what caused it to have the sound that it had. Yeah. You know? Um, so the title track is amazing. Uh, I think the second track is called Witch Song, which is also amazing. Uh, they're all great, but there's two really standout songs on that album. <clears throat> and uh, the first is called The Ballad of Lucy Jordan, um, which is kind of... I guess still relevant today. I mean, the housewife culture has sort of died down as a mon, like overall. Yeah. You know, died down at least from where it was in the 90s, even. You know? Yeah, but, but I mean, I feel like a lot of domestic partnerships still place 
you know, true. importance on the woman being housewife and doing the chores, That's even true. though she's got the nine to five. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I think overall it's a little different now. I think people are, I mean, just by necessity, I think both parents have to have incomes to yeah. sort of, to sort of survive and definitely and, depends, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a song that was actually, it's interesting. This is a song. Uh, these are not Marianne Faithful's lyrics. These lyrics were actually written as a poem by Shel Silverstein. She just saw the poem and she was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to speak about. Hmm. And it's succinct. It's like, it, it appears sort of right in the middle of the album. Uh, and it, it's such a salient point when it comes out of her. Like, her voice, like, sort of is, it's so evocative of the struggle that this character is, is undertaking, you know. Because the poem itself is about a housewife that slowly deteriorates mentally yeah you know yeah, yeah. Um, based on her circumstances you know and i think if you look at it, it it's sort of representative of of like it, it's just so poignant you know when you're considering especially in the late 70s at that point like the 70s housewife was already becoming a thing i mean wasn't already becoming a thing people were already sort of seeing mm. and had already seen firsthand the struggles of that yeah, kind it was of lifestyle the 50s housewife pretty much 40s and... yeah man can we talk for a second about how fucked up the the 50s housewife model is every single not every single but the proto medic psychotic medications like prozac and everything or lobotomies they were originally called housewife drugs yeah because it's like how do you stop your neurotic house exactly how how do you as a housewife how do you take care of your kids clean the house be a housewife being a loving mother and also be sexually ready for your husband 24 7 like it's it's like cabin fever and ocd and like and anxiety and anxiety and 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 which then leads to depression which then leads to more anxiety like you were fucked like that's a whole can of worms but it's you know so it's it's it it almost feels a little bit like like an analysis but also a retrospective like it's a tragic song yeah like and it sits with you funny you know which I think was the point. Yeah. You know, and uh, which again, you know, that, that's sort of why this album tends to get classified as post-punk, even though some of the elements aren't really what you would consider to be classic post-punk, because there is a rebellious streak mm-hmm. about this particular, and you'll see for a second, because we're going to be talking about this other song. Um, there's a rebellious streak to the entire album. She's she's speaking out. She's she's talking about issues that are that are wrong in the world. You yeah. Know? Which is you know classic post-punk. Yeah. yeah. You know. And then we get to the last song on the album, which is called Why'd You Do It? And uh, it may or may not be about Mick Jagger. I don't know if she's ever come on record and uh, and said whether or not this was about Mick Jagger, but it certainly sounds like it. Definitely sounds it like definitely it. It definitely sounds like it, yeah. It is... Uh, it's fucking bitter. It's bitter, <laughs> It's still, I mean, this is 2019, right? Everybody yeah. swears nowadays, you know? There's expletives all over the place. But know? we're just desensitized. We're just desensitized now. Just everything is as profane as you can it's get. It's true. And yet, you listen to this song, which now actually came out 40 years ago. Jeez. Like nowadays, right? Yeah. 40 years ago, and it is still a little shocking. Well, it's almost like you could hear it in her voice that she is not supposed to be saying those things. Yeah. And she knows it, and she's saying it with like angst and anger it's true absolutely like it's oh like, my god it's almost it's almost indescribable the fury 
yeah that's in her voice you know and like, it's you can just hear the protest in the it. protest yeah. yeah it's 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 so indignant is the word yeah it's like hell hath no fury yeah you know, like just like i feel like doing that nowadays would be almost impossible to portray the same amount of like emotion. It's and true, and I think people try. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what a good a good analog would be. I guess Ariana Grande has put out songs that are no, um, Lemonade by Beyonce. True. Oh my God, true, she yeah. came close yeah. with Don't Hurt Yourself, the Jack yeah. White track. Uh, obviously, it's nowhere near as uh, vulgar or as <clears throat> visceral. Maybe mm-hmm. close to visceral. Have you yeah. heard that track? What, Lemonade or... Um, Don't Hurt Yourself off of Lemonade. I have not. So it's produced really obviously. Jack White does the guitars. It's it's sort of processed kind of like a garage rock track. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to hear Beyonce singing those those things, yeah. you know, calling out Jay-Z, and obviously... Oh, and she says the F word as okay. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I think she was... You can see a modern analog with this particular song, yeah, yeah. you know, like definitely being betrayed, being betrayed, and all that. And I mean, and it's more publicized, of course. Yeah. But I mean, here, man, in 1979, like talk about pearl clutching. She didn't give a shit. Yeah, you know, having living on the streets for almost 10 years now. Yeah, she's know? like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Who gives a shit? Yeah, and she. The funny thing is, she's still that way now. Like, as a woman who walks with a cane now, who's, like, in her 70s, she's still yeah. just, like, that middle finger's up, I don't give a shit. Like, the kind of qualities that would be adorable in a grandma, but knowing her past are just sort of like, well, obviously it makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so she comes out with this album, and it's it's a hit. I mean, it's it's not really a hit hit, but mm-hmm. it, it makes waves, you know? Has, Critically, it's just has acclaimed. Reach. It's acclaimed as fuck. Like, everyone looks at what, what gets pieced into it, you know? Yeah. And ever since then, she's she's just been pumping them out, you know? <laughs> like, she's stayed in the recording career. She had some relapses, but she finally detoxed, I believe, in the mid-'80s. Okay. And, uh, and then in the 90s, she just, her clout started rising again. John Waters, John Waters, Roger Waters. John Waters, <laughs> different guy. Yeah. Um, uh, invited her uh to do collaborations with him and uh you know people just started talking about her as an influence at that point that's pretty interesting yeah and uh she's still kicking that's fucking crazy which is crazy it's crazy right to come back from that you know well to come back and then to keep to keep doing it yeah to just keep I, not just come back with one record, but to be like, fuck this. Yeah. I'm back in the game. So she came out with a few albums. Um, she, not not too, too many to, to, to say of note, but she had one. I forget specifically what it was called. Um, Strange Weather, hmm. which I believe was maybe a few albums after Broken English. And... On that song, she does a. I don't want to say on Strange Weather, yeah. She does uh, in a cover of. She re records As Tears Go By, hmm. the song that put her on the map, except she does it in her Marian Faithful version too. Yeah, her you know, new with style, her voice. Yeah. Which is already just like so fucking cool. Yeah. And to just be like, just. To, but by releasing and writing and re-recording that song, it's an it's an explicit statement saying I'm happy with how I am right now. Yeah. Like I've weathered the storm, I've I'm weathered the, the strange weather. Yeah, yeah. And here I am now, and I'm this person. Mm-hmm. You know, 
It's, it's fucking, it's, it's resiliency, man. It is resilience. Not only that, though, on the deluxe edition of Broken English, you can also listen to her doing Sister Morphine as a 12-inch, mm. reclaiming the song for herself. Yeah. You know? So yeah. really what it comes down to is this is an artist that is completely taking charge of her own artistic image and her career and everything. You know, She's no longer just a floozy. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which is why songs like The Ballad of Lucy Jordan, pretty much the entire content of Broken English, is so important and, and critical to to the image that she sort of built up for herself, you know? This is a person who has completely just sort of become herself. She's no longer just Mrs. X, like yeah, someone who yeah. is known in relation to someone else, you know? Well, so I'm curious the dynamics and relationships between her and the Stones, you know? Is yeah. there stuff... Like, obviously tabloids aren't as crazy and the Stones aren't as relevant anymore, but it's like... I mean, when it comes down to it is tabloids did a, a number on... Well, they they, sensation, they sensationalized being the junkie lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm just wondering do. if, like, you know, Jagger's sitting somewhere some days and goes, man, I really fucked her up. <laughs> oh, I bet, probably. I don't know. I don't want to speak for Jagger himself. Yeah, but, you know. I mean, when you have that kind of life, I mean, and also when you're doing those kinds of drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking as someone who has never done hard drugs, like, I don't know whether or not the, the allure of of taking drugs you know changes how you feel about certain worldly pleasures like love for mm. example you know like i have to think though i there are these drag queens i follow and and one of them is a former meth addict um, okay. who said that the very first time that she smoked meth she was like golem holding onto the pipe she like couldn't let it go oh wow and she was like this is the most amazing feeling i've ever felt in my life this is gonna be a huge problem for me <laughs> like that was what she remembers thinking when she started you know wow. and it's like and it's also been described in train spotting it's like you know yeah, yeah. imagine like... a million times better than the best orgasm you've ever had yeah you know like when you when you have felt that when you've been through that how does normal life's pleasures change for you Mick Jagger probably, I mean, he's clean now, I have to assume. Maybe. Spry, 70-year-old male. Who knows, you know? man. He, uh, I mean, he could not be, no. If he was if he was doing heroin now, there was no Oh, way heroin was, now, but no. like other drugs, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Whatever the case, who knows how he's able to, to I saw a clip of him uh, duetting with Lady Gaga just a few years ago. I can't even believe he's able to pull off the moves that he can right Dude, now. Dude, they're on tour right now. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean... I mean so who knows what Jagger is actually thinking about Faithful? Yeah, that's yeah. Wh that's what I'm curious about. Like, who, who, does it even show up on register? his mind? I or don't does, know. Or does she care that they're on tour? Oh, again? she probably. I mean, she's got no she love for that guy. Probably no fucks. She you know? she gives no fucks. For what that happened guy with the child? Oh no, I don't know. Well, she lost custody of the child, so I'm not sure if it's Jagger's child, um, or if it it's probably Jagger's child. I'm thinking if he took custody. So, yeah. yeah, so, like, that's got to be somewhere in the dynamic. Mate, yeah. Well, I mean, if she lost custody, then... I mean, she probably... No, she has other sons, now that I think about it. Because I remember reading an interview around the time she was <clears throat> releasing Negative Capability, which is her most recent album that came out mm -hmm. last year, year before? I'm not sure. Um, her sons take care of her. Okay. And, like, she lives in, like, a, a great house. Like, I mean, that's fucking dope. With all these amenities, like... She just, she lives like, like your average, like not your average, but like, like a retired well off. musician that's still, that's still doing records, you know? 
and uh, she still collaborates. She collaborates with a lot of people now. That's like fucking a lot awesome. of really well-known musicians. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, what's the moral of the story here? The moral of the story is don't do drugs. Don't do drugs first and foremost. Yeah, unless I mean don't do hard drugs. Don't do hard drugs. I mean, don't listen to us. Just do and, whatever you and want. And if you but. yeah. If you find yourself in a situation where you have done hard drugs, try and get help. Um, but also, you know, rock bottom, rock bottom is there for a reason. You know, things can always go up. And you can always, no matter how shitty your situation is, there is always hope that you could pull yourself out of the morass and become like the person that you've always wanted or, or even stronger. Yeah, you can always walk forward. Yeah, always walk forward. Yeah, you know? Like, things, things may get depressing. Things might get super, super serious. I mean, but I just, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Kimya Dawson. I've heard of them. She wrote a lot of uh, the tracks for the Juno soundtrack. Oh, yes, yes. I was just listening to a song by her called Walking Like Thunder yesterday. Interesting. And it's literally just like a nine-minute ballad about dealing with like extremely depressing states of life and like having two close friends die of cancer and like just wanting to kill yourself and then just keep on walking right eventually you know stuff does get better and it's fucking it's yeah if you have the resilience yeah i mean even if you don't, if you have friends to help you. If you if have you, friends. And honestly, I mean, who knows where she would have been if that guy didn't discover him, discover her and yeah. like helped her get back on her feet. I'm sure she wanted to, but man, it's hard to go it alone. Yeah, man. In I mean, regard. Yeah, to go from begging on the street to again being in a recording studio must have been surreal as fuck. Surreal. And also to know what you need to do. Not yeah. even what you want to do, yeah, yeah. but like what you have to do to get yourself forward. Like, I feel like previously it was just this attempt at stardom and then this like... And then you realize stardom's ride. bullshit. Yeah. And you got, you got to go for what you feel in your gut. Yeah. You know? And she's just blaring it out. Blaring it out, man. Absolutely listen to Broken English if you haven't already. One of the best... One of the most important rock albums I believe ever made. Um, I'll have to give it a listen. Man. Yeah. Um, okay, so moral of the story, don't do drugs, things will always get better, um, have friends, try to keep your relationships going, you know, uh, yeah. don't be a shitty person, um, but if you can't help it, you know, like, just, just you're gonna be fine. <laughs> always you're, you're gonna be fine, have faith, have faith, I guess, is, is the better, the better, um, statement for that. Do drugs. <laughs> do drugs. Back to point one. Can we can we start on that again? <laughs> I would like to do a drug, please. All right. Well, I think I think that's it for the podcast. Um, thanks for letting us ramble, Rigo. You've been an amazing guest as always. Thank Hope you. to see you again for that discussion on um, what is it that we were going to talk about? Drugs in the music. Drugs industry. in the music industry. Holy shit! That uh, that sounds like such a fascinating I mean, yeah, topic. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Be be faithful. Don't be drugs. Be faithful. Be merry and faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Merry kid. Merry and faithful. But maybe, but with one L, so that you don't, you know, copyright infringe. I don't know. Yeah, if exactly. Under copyright. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Tape Deck. It's been a pleasure, uh, and thank you for listening. Check out the website. We will see you guys on the next episode this Friday. Take care. Bye bye.